Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ona Ike and Greg Lim from KPMG. Greg Lim is the global head of family office and private client KPMG International and UK head of family office and private client KPMG LLP UK, KPMG International. Greg has been a partner in the UK firm since 2008 and acts as the global lead for family office and private client. Greg has over 30 years of practical tax experience and specializes in advising ultra high net worth individuals, family officers and entrepreneurs on their domestic and international tax affairs. Ona EK is a UK based Institute of Chartered Accountants, England and Wales, Chartered Accountant and the Global Practice Management for Family Office and Private Client at KPMG. She has over seven years practical experience as an international tax advisor in both the UK and the Middle East. Ona also specializes in advising ultra high net worth individuals, family officers and entrepreneurs on their UK and global tax affairs. Today they'll be discussing professionalizing the family office and managing the expected wealth transfer between generations. Hello, my name is Ona Ike. I am the Global Practice Manager for Family Office and Private Clients at KPMG. Hi, and I'm Greg Lim, a UK tax partner, and I'm the Global Head of Family Office and Private Clients at KPMG. And so the topic for today is um, professionalizing the family office and managing the expected wealth transfer um, to the next generation. So Greg, family offices are becoming increasingly popular as wealth management and investment vehicles, amongst other things, for ultra high net worth individuals. According to a recent report by WealthX, wealthy individuals controlled almost a third of global private wealth in 2019. Um, it is also estimated that over $15 trillion will be passed on to the next generation um, over the next decade. Now, although family offices are you know, becoming very popular, there's still some mystery behind the concept of a family office. And, and one obvious reason for this, at least in my view, is the fact that a family office typically represent the, represents the needs um, of the family or the families behind it. And so the structure or the setup of a family office will typically follow whatever the family needs or the complexity of their affairs. And what I'm curious, in your experience leading KPMG's family office um, and private client practice, as well as advising family offices, how would you describe the concept of the family office in layperson's terms? Sonna, um, I think unique is one of the words that always comes to mind when you think of family offices. Um, and yeah, as each of our families are each yeah, uniquely um, yeah, in terms of how they operate, how they interact, how we, yeah, how we respond and, and, and deal with each other, then a family office is, is no different to how each of us are with our own families. Um, and yeah, there is, there is a, yeah, the, 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 there's a saying that once you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office and that's all you've seen. And I think that, yeah, I hate the saying, but yeah, it, it's true every time that you think about it. And yeah, and I think part of this, is because there are many different types of family offices and yeah a family office isn't something that you can you, you can look up and you know look in the dictionary and say what is a family office there's no definition that's there or anything else and yeah there's no such structure as called a family office a family office is what you really want to call it and the one thing that we see as professionals is that we see many different types of family offices it could be that it's 
it, yeah, it, it's one or two people who sit within an existing trading business who look after the affairs of the family who are the, the successful entrepreneurs behind the family business. It could be something that's taken outside of the business and runs and operates as a family office and is called a family office, which is managing the family's personal wealth. It could equally be in the same sense, just somebody who's managing the personal affairs. So the, yeah, the day-to-day -day lifestyle and administration of a successful family who sits and is employed by the family that could be their family office it's very much down to what people want to have and what what they want to see it isn't just something that yeah is is presented in a box and said here is your family office and i think yeah we see many many different types of these structures when we're looking um at advising our clients and i think the stru the, the structure which will be put on a slide in front of you now for um, for, for a family we call the Lucas family, but this is very much a sample structure, not untypical of what we see with many of our families and the family office type of structure that they have. Now, what you will see here is that you have a family who, yeah, the, the wealth originated, the family originated from Johannesburg. Wealth, is, yeah, wealth, yeah, wealth was created there in successful trading business. And like many families, and yeah, as, as the children have got older and yeah, the, the, the world has shrunk in that sense and yeah, all our outlooks have broadened, the children have actually gone to different parts of the globe. Their eldest son lives in Israel. Their daughter, their eldest daughter, she's married and lives in LA. Their second son's at university in New York. The family have real estate interests and a second home or what they really see as their second home in London. Their wealth is managed through, um, through, through, through an offshore trust and yeah, located in Jersey. They have an investment function in Geneva where they have a team of investment managers who are employed by the family in, in the widest sense that sit there and manage their investments from there. And they have several asset holding vehicles based in the British Virgin Islands. So this is very much what we would call a typical family office structure but not one that anybody would say that that is a family office because there isn't anything within this structure that, that, that is, a, is a family office or has the name family office around it, but it's very much the structure that's there. Yeah, the closest thing that you would probably say to being what is the family office is the trust that's based in Jersey, but that's a trust, it's not a family office. So that, yeah, that, that brings in lots of challenges and issues for everybody as, as that comes in from there. And it, it is something that we look at, but that is, is fairly atypical of a lot of the structures that we do see. I completely agree with you, Greg. I think, you know, family offices as a concept really are not highly regulated. And so, for example, the extent to which certain legislations or economic substance, for example, in some jurisdictions affect one family office might not affect another, especially when you think about this case, um, such as the Lucas family, where there isn't really any company or particular structure that is the Lucas family office. Um, and, and this begs the question or you know, makes me think about professionalizing the family office really, and one, what sort of changes um, or factors will lead to families considering whether to professionalize and what are the key considerations they would need to bear in mind when doing this? I think, I think a lot of this, and, and again, something, something that we often see with many families and family offices that, that, that we encounter is that you know, we have clients who are absolutely first rate in how they run their businesses and how they operate and what they do from there. But then when you remove 
everything from the business and you look at what they're doing from a family office perspective, they are very much second rate and sometimes yeah, not even getting close to second rate in terms of the professionalization that goes on there. They, are, you know, they, they have operating principles that they would never ever allow within the business that's there. You know, people's ability to move and you know, transfer funds at, yeah, at the instruction on a phone call, nothing written down, nothing that's done there. Management of the, of the family's finances on an Excel spreadsheet that yeah, is, yeah, is held together with, yeah, with a piece of elastic and, yeah, and, two, and, and two rubber bands. And that's literally all that's doing it. And if there's one corrupt cell, then the whole family's finances are, are awash and nobody knows where things are. So yeah, one of the real key moves that you start to see as people go on to the journey of, of creating a family office and having a successful family office is that professionalization and bringing in thinking as, as to normal business standards, normal business controls, normal business procedures, operating and understanding. And it's often sometimes as well that once you get this and you turn it into and, and people start to see this as being a business and that mindset that comes in, that you start to see the journey begin in terms of professionalizing what's going on. And yeah, in, in terms of how this all comes together, it is that sometimes just thinking about it and seeing this as something that is important. It is a business structure and it should be viewed no differently to how they would normally see their normal business that's there. And I give an example to illustrate the point. We had one family, very successful. Um, their wealth had liquidized, they'd liquidated their wealth when they sold their family business. And they came to us and said, look, yeah, everything's been, been in the business and everything's come from there. The wealth is now outside the business. We want to create the structure. And the structure we created wasn't too, you know, too different from what you would, might see on, you know, for the Lucas family. And we went back to speak to the family afterwards and thought, yeah, this is all good. We, you know, we get well the structure is, but we as a family are not acting as if we're together. And there's nothing that commonly binds us. And yeah, having spoke to all the family members over a couple of conversations, we realized that what it was just a simple mindset that there wasn't something that they saw as a business that they'd had before. And that it didn't bring in that professional mindset that they had as successful business people. So we just created a shell company that did nothing else other than have the name and we'll call it the Lucas family just for illustration. But yeah, we just called this company the Lucas family office limited. And all of a sudden they felt that everything was there. They got the structure, they got the controls, they got the procedures and it just made this family harmonize behind it and the family office structure, the whole piece, as you would see on this page here, the whole piece just come together. And there were bits that worked worked through on that, that that in terms of where it went from that percent in that sense on us. So, yeah, we had a bookkeeping function, but the bookkeeper was literally using an Excel spreadsheet. So they invested in some proper accounting technology that worked from there. Yeah, these exist from there. All these various disparate pieces around this picture: the yeah, the, the investment managers, the trustees, um, the yeah, the employees in Israel where the agritech fund was was being created they were all communicating via email. They didn't have a common platform or a portal. And you, you will see now out in the market, there are many, many different platforms and portals for family offices that you know, specifically designed that they can use and utilize as a tool and, 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 and as a platform for the family office and the family to operate. All the documents were kept in one central place so that anybody could refer to them the structure charts around everything that people needed to understand and see 
where things sit were sat there. These are all common business principles that people see and understand. But you know, without somebody doing something, these just weren't being thought about in terms of where the family went. And one of the things that I think you know, really is, is a real advancement that's coming around this. You know, so we're seeing this, you know, bringing ourselves up to standards of governance and procedures and controls. But one area that I think needs a, a sharp uptick, and you know, th this has been brought home in the, in, in the current pandemic, is issues around cybersecurity. Absolutely. particularly around the risk that, that are introduced here. And again, it's back to this piece that you know, within many businesses, they will have you know, a head of IT and you know, IT teams who are protecting and looking at their IT systems and the security and, the, you know, and, 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 and how that infrastructure works. However, you know, for their personal IT security and the, and the IT security of the family office, again, it was way beyond or way behind where it was. You know, the, you know, the passwords were commonly shared around on an email that anybody could find and could see what was going on from there. So sometimes coming in and, and talking to families about would you allow this to happen in your business that you're allowing to happen in your family office or in your personal affairs, they're often left you know, scratching their head and thinking, no, I wouldn't. And they realize that they've got to start professionalizing in terms of what's there. And the same goes with talent. You know, many, many businesses are successful because they recruit and retain the best talent. And that applies exactly the same within the family office sphere and environment. The Lucas family here, as we've got them on here, chose that the best investment manager for them was actually based in Geneva. Hence, that's why they have a specific function for that business in Geneva. That's no different to any business. Yeah, the best R&D specialists are based in Boston, Massachusetts, then you would set up something in Boston, Massachusetts for you. And that's no different to where many families and successful families will start to look at. And that's something that we really start to see bringing in. And it's that mindset piece that allows families to professionalize, but also turning back around the lens on them often and saying, how would you run this if this were your business, the business where you'd been successful? Would you run your family office and your personal affairs in the same way? And often the answer is no. And I think that's something that's there. And speaking of talent, actually, I think relationships also is another driver. Um, where family, for example, has had successful relationships with a financial advisor based in a particular jurisdiction, that could sometimes also influence um, the decision to, one, create a more defined structure for the family office, but also where they want the professionals managing the family office and the family's assets to be based. Um, yes. I, you know, another, another trend that I've been seeing is collaboration and co-investment between family offices. And I think as family offices choose to collaborate and go into joint investments or projects together, there's also the need to have a well-defined structure, um, but also to have clear investment strategies to understand what the family members you know, are passionate about, what they want to derive from whatever investment they're going into, as well as the good governance required to ensure that their investments are successful. Um, a recent study by UBS indicated that although ultimate beneficial owners of family offices are in the 60s and 70s, about a third of family offices are not thinking about succession but I think that COVID has everyone thinking about their mortality now. You know, I, I 
I can see that succession will become topical and become a priority for family offices going forward. Um, and, and this isn't just succession in terms of transferring wealth, it's also succession in terms of the management and the executives that run the family office. So where you have professionals in the capacity of CFO or general counsel, families are beginning to think, well, if we needed to replace this individual or if we needed to hire more individuals, do we have the right structure to attract top talent um, as well as to ensure that there is a good succession and handover in place? These are some of the key factors, I think, that would influence professionalizing the family office. Um, and just speaking about succession as well, you know, there's the new generation coming in at a very challenging time for coming in with a lot of innovation, new ideas. And I think there's an element of education that goes both ways. Educating the next gen in terms of getting involved with the family business if there's one, but also understanding how the family office is run, how family wealth is managed, and what the intention is long-term for legacy planning for the family. But there's also the education of those who have historically been involved in the family office to adopt new and innovative ways to be efficient and to run the family office efficiently links into your point around technology as well cyber security harnessing some of the technology out there for family offices um, and i wonder do you see any of this you know from your own experience and going forward what do you think are the trends we're likely to see i think i mean i think the whole wealth transfer piece is a real Cri not not crisis point, but it, yeah, it, it's a real pivot point for for where the whole wealth management industry needs to focus its mind on. Um, you know, we are seeing many many issues and trends that are coming out of this. We're seeing you know, you know people living longer, first of all, so people are holding on to that wealth longer, and that in itself creates many issues. Um, and I cite the I always cite the example of you know, the UK royal family in this sense. You know, we we have the Queen, yeah, who's in her you know co coming up to sixty years um, of of being in charge of yeah you know, the family business as they often call it. But yeah, you know, you've got Prince Charles who himself is going to be seventy very very soon, or might even be seventy now. Yeah, you know, would you normally, in a business sense, pass a family business on to somebody who is not going to be at the helm for for long enough? Yeah, so so all these issues are going on in business, and you look at this, and you, yeah, this is what's this is what's happening uh, in lots of things, and I think this applies to this big wealth succession piece, and we are starting to see, yeah, you know, some of the families look at this and actually cut out the second generation, not yeah, literally cut them out, but in terms of say, well, it's pointless passing the wealth to you because yeah. You know, now isn't the time to do it let's pass it down to the third generation because they're the ones who will be the ones who will see this through to its next evolution as to where it goes so i think this whole this whole area is one that's rich in discussion that we can talk to clients about that we can talk to families about that we can really understand what's going on with it and yeah that there is you know back to this point each family will be different about how they approach it but for each family this is a critical point as to what they need to try and do as they address this issue and, and, and we move forward. I mean, yeah, the numbers are staggering. I think you said at the beginning, it's 15 trillion of wealth that is supposedly to pass from, you know, from, from one generation to the next in the next 10 years. And this is often in many societies where wealth has been created in that first generation. 
you look at you know, places like China, you know, these are the yeah, you know, th these are the first generation of wealth creators who are going to pass this wealth down. So that brings real challenges as to as to what's going on from there. Yeah. And allied with this, we see, and yeah, you know, going back to the Lucas family, yeah. The, 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 the dispersal of the families and you know, the dispersal of that wealth brings in many, many issues and challenges. You know, what you might be trying to do is, you know, is pass your wealth down to, you know, to, to your son and daughter. Let's just say that you know, we have this, you know, this typical family of one, you know, two children, one son, one daughter. Um, the son could be living in the US. The daughter could be living in Dubai. You know, the issues for each of those children in terms of how they receive that wealth and what the issues for them of receiving that wealth are both from a succession perspective succession law perspective versus a tax perspective are massively different and dealing with that conundrum is part of the you know, part of the issue that we as advisors bring in and yeah and, and help and help with that transition but also it's often where you find a family office or some form of professionalized structure existing around the family is, is a positive thing to do. And again, you know, going back to the Lucas family, one of the benefits of having that trust in Jersey, it means that it's in a passive tax location where if funds pass to either son or daughter, so you know, donations you know, or, or amounts are passed to son in, in the US, the son will pay the tax on what he will pay because he's based in the US. Same amount goes to the daughter, she lives in, in Dubai, there are no issues there with, 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 in terms of how that comes in because she's doing it there, but each are being treated equally in terms of the pot where they're getting their, their money, but the money as they're receiving it will be then dictated and determined by their own personal circumstances. And these are the, these are the issues that are coming around from this. Equally, you throw into the mix here, and this is something you and I have spoken about lots and lots on, or in this sense is that yeah, the next generation are very much more interested in the wider benefits of their money and that's something that yeah we see in there and yeah i don't know if you want to just give some thoughts as to what we're seeing their views being in terms of you know the, the, their whole change around the giving and you know the, the wider benefits of the wealth yes i think even prior to covid um you know we've begun to see a lot of families more interested in impact investments um invest in, interested in philanthropy and having more defined structures around how they're given and also how they're taking advantage of some of the you know, tax benefits or reliefs, just in a way where their giving is actually managed, but also beneficial to the family. Um, and I think, again, with COVID, it's only heightened some of these things because we're in a position now where there's a lot of debate around wealth taxes and some of this, these conversations are being led by the wealthy themselves. You know, um, and, and I do think with these trends going forward, it gives one advisors like ourselves um, more to talk to families about and to help them with. But it's also linked to the concept or the idea of professionalizing the family office, because as families choose to go down this route, they will need well-defined structures if they don't have one already. And, you know, it's interesting how these two concepts do marry um, with each other. And I think you're absolutely right there. I think yeah, this this whole piece and the professionalization and the the wealth transfer or the intergenerational wealth transfer, whilst they're yeah they're two different problems, I think the solutions lie very much in the same part in terms of it. Yeah, it's about being organised. It's about having a plan. It's about thinking of what the issues are, 
about applying the same logic and sentiment and common sense that many of the people would apply exactly in their businesses and how they how many often these these, these people who've created the wealth how they would go about doing that it's taking that, that 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 thinking and that business acumen into this and having a plan and having a strategy sometimes having a contingency because not everything is right the first time but one of the key things that yeah, that we often yeah that, that we often yeah shouldn't miss or we shouldn't see in terms of what we are doing here is the, the absolute need for communication. Communication is critical in terms of everything that goes on here. Yeah, communicating what the purpose of a structure similar to the Lucas's is for all the family to understand, but equally for all the professionals that you know, are gathered around the outer edges or, employ, or are employed within the structure. Understanding what is the purpose, what is the meaning for this? And it's exactly the same point when you come to look at the transfer of wealth what are we trying to do why are we trying to do it don't shy away from a conversation around you know we're giving you this this wealth to you know to your father giving wealth to daughter don't shy away from the conversation you know talk through your fears about what it might mean what it might mean to the daughter how it might impact her life how it might impact others around her yeah talk about the issues around what you would expect to happen in the event of the marriage of the son or the daughter would they be expected to have some form of agreement that means that the wealth couldn't pass on the breakup of that marriage all these issues need to be looked at and considered within there and again we, yeah, we find that the the families that talk yeah are often the ones that are successful the families who consult are the ones who really thrive and move on to things from there and i think that's how i would try and reconcile this whole piece around professionalism it's about having some form of communication and channels and structure um, that, or, 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 or some form of governance around the structure. And it's around having that governance on the process in terms of the wealth transition that will make this successful in terms of what's there. Because yeah, the simple passing and the, yeah, the primogenitor of yeah, father passing to son, that is long gone and doesn't fit the modern world. We've got to look at how this comes into a, in, into a more modern progressive world where things are done differently to what you know what was done in, in previous generations yeah absolutely so i think that's probably covers most of what we wanted to cover for you all today um i don't know if yeah in, in terms of where we are um thank you for all yeah everybody for listening in on behalf of honor and myself it's been it's been great speaking to you all in this very strange and uh, and, and 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 weird process of now in which we do in terms of sharing our knowledge by by video that uh, that yeah that, that goes out there but hopefully some people have found that interesting and helpful so from both of us um it's a great big thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your days thank you thank you thank you for those insights honor and greg and that brings us to the end of this video series in our phenomenal family series thank you for joining us now don't miss our next session when Miguel Lopez de Silanaj Gomez will be once again sharing his expertise, this time about direct private investment opportunities. Until then, goodbye.